You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. All right, well, take out your Bible and join me in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verse 7 this morning. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Um, I... Hopefully we don't have any um, interruptions this morning. I am the acting fire chief for Galena presently. Um, so I've got the phone, fire phone. Hopefully it uh, doesn't go off. But um, it was fitting as I was thinking about the sermon today and, uh, and this of, of okay, i got to you know, be cognizant that if the phone goes off, i got to answer it and all that kind of stuff. Because the way God wired me is um, you know, in that fight, flight, or faint response that everybody's had. I'm a fight every, every time. Uh, if there's if there's a situation going on, I'm running to it. I'm not running away from it, and I'm not stalled by it. Um, and uh, so, the Lord's had me in a, in a number of different um, uh, first on the first on the scene of a car wreck kind of situations. Um, but I remember one that was that really uh, kind of shook me in a in a distinct way. Um, and it was in response to Hurricane Katrina um, when Katrina hit New Orleans. Um, was my uh, first semester in seminary, and I was pastoring a little church in uh, in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, uh, called Church Without Walls. And part of that was you know, we emphasized that the church building was not the, the the building, but it was the people. And we were very decentralized. We didn't have a building, and so when Katrina happened, we didn't have like a space to be able to you know house people or whatever. We just as as the church went and responded, and um, we went and worked in uh, what was called the Cajun Dome. It was our big sports arena there in Lafayette. And it was kind of this emergency response um, uh, Red Cross shelter. They were just, you know, throwing out cots and cots and cots and people were just piling in. And I just remember this overwhelming sense of humanity as these people that literally just fled with whatever they had in their hands to get out. Uh, and I remember this uh, this one family it was, an, it was an extended family unit, so one family, grandparents, and then aunt and uncle and some other cousins and stuff that was had all fled. They all came from the same um, part of the Ninth Ward. And I was doing my best to try to get them uh, enough cots that they needed and specifically blankets. And one of the parts that was just, you know, I felt absolutely helpless uh, was they had a two-day-old baby uh, with them. Uh, in this evacuation thing, and it was just like, uh, you know, I mean, I wanted to do everything I could to help. I wanted to, you know, everything in me wanted to be able to fix it, right? But the magnitude and the scale of the situation was I, I couldn't, right? I couldn't, I mean, I, I've got a mission professor from, that, and from my seminary who is still, to this day, still taking groups of students back into the Ninth Ward and doing recovery efforts uh, into that area. Uh, and this nature of wanting to right the wrong or alleviate pain is the nature of mercy. Um, it, it's, it's what we are um, uh, trying to do when we extend mercy uh, is to try to help alleviate uh, the suffering, uh, the pain, the uh, anguish that people are in. Uh, and it's interesting as we think about that, um, in the nature, again, of the Beatitudes, remember we said that the blessed that is used there is, uh, can also be translated happy. And happiness um, is that which actually comes from the inward man and is not the result of the conditions 
of the outward man. Elizabeth Elliot, the uh, wife of um, uh, a martyred missionary, um, used to say that um, uh, happiness um, uh, is uh, uh, Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. Uh, and that that nature of um, you know we think often that if I can if I can just change the situation then I'll be happy. And happiness, as it is laid out for us in Scripture, is actually a condition of your inward heart. You can be happy in very very bad situations. Um, as we think about this, as Jesus lays out in all of these things that he says here, blessed are the merciful. The adjective form of mercy. Blessed are the merciful, those who are defined as being mercy or merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I want us to look at seven different aspects of mercy this morning, um, and try to. I'm going to try to move through them as quickly as I can. But um, as a mark of us, if we desire to be known as a people who are merciful, which is something I I hope we are. Um, it's going to mean that our response to situations is to run to those challenges and give mercy. The first aspect that we want to look at about mercy is that mercy uh, is filled with compassion and passion. Compassion and passion. Mercy is the inversion of everything that is harsh, cruel, oppressive, or injurious. Uh, the, the things of that, that cause suffering, the things that cause um, pain, the things that cause heartache, mercy seeks to uh, upend those or flip those things on end. Oftentimes when we talk in biblical terms, uh, the terms mercy and grace are used in conjunction with each other, um, but they are actually different, uh, even from a biblical standpoint. Grace takes away the fault. Mercy takes away the misery. They're they're a different action. Uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest preachers of the last hundred years, um, said this. He said, Grace is especially associated with men in their sin. And mercy is especially associated with men in their misery. Uh, when we think of the biblical concepts of justice, mercy, and grace, it's helpful for us to be able to, as we read those terms, to be able to remember what category are they in. Uh, justice is God giving us what we deserve. That's, that's justice. It, it's, we have sinned and rebelled against God, and so that justice is God giving us death. That's the, that's the results of that. So justice is God giving us what we deserve. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. It's Him withholding His hand in that sense. But God does not stop at mercy. He gives us grace. And grace is God giving us what we don't deserve taking it a step further in that way. When we think of mercy as an act of passion, it is a heartfelt thing that looks at the suffering that is in the world and says, 
uh, we've got to do something about it. An action, the uh, the emotion of mercy looks at injustice, it looks at sorrow, it looks at grief, it looks at pain, it looks at misery, and it feels that deeply, and it has compassion on it. This is Jesus looking at the crowd of people, and it says that as he saw them, he had compassion on them, and he saw them uh, like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, individuals that were um, uh, if, if not in misery at the moment, we're on the precipice of misery. A flock of sheep without a shepherd is a flock that is at danger in, or in danger and is uh, also in the place of uh, beginning to, they, they don't know how to feed themselves. They don't know how to water themselves. They don't know how to tend to themselves. They are in great peril. And Jesus saw them and had compassion on them. And he stepped into that. He felt uh, a distinct mercy towards these people. But mercy is not just a passionate feeling. Mercy is also an action. This is the second aspect of mercy. Mercy is not just an attitude. It has to translate into action. Uh, this is why Jesus said, uh, you know, if you see your brother in need of food or clothing, uh, and you say to him, go, be well fed, and on and on you go, what good is it, right? What good is it if we feel sorrow for individuals and yet we do nothing to actually try to help? It, it has no actual benefit to it. The adjective form of mercy, merciful, speaks to a person so personally affected by the suffering of others so as to act in such a way to try to alleviate them. It's not just feeling pity towards people. It's acting in a way that tries to help that individual not be in the suffering or the misery that they are in. Uh, this is uh, fill, or it's, Scripture is filled with this concept of saying it's not just enough for us to know information. We are supposed to do it, right? The uh, Apostle James um, wrote in the book of James, uh, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, right? It doesn't matter how much we know of information. If we know that people are suffering and we don't actually act in a way as to alleviate their suffering, what is that really mercy? And the Bible, I think, would answer no, it's not. So mercy is passion-filled. It is also action-oriented. But the third aspect of mercy is that mercy, true mercy, is full of wisdom. True mercy is full of wisdom. When we give a hand out, it may not always be the best thing for a person. Sometimes the best thing that we can give to somebody is not a hand out, but a hand up. An outstretched hand to say, let me help you in this. Let me walk with you in this. Mercy is an inward... Um, uh, mercy is an inward help of the person, not just an outward help of the person. To just alleviate the symptoms of a thing is not actually to treat the problem, right? Our physicians know this. Our clinicians know this. That if you just treat people's symptoms, you may not actually deal with the problem. And sometimes acts that seem merciful are actually enabling. 
They're actually not helpful. In the long term, they're not merciful. They're not truly loving. We, of course, know this in parenting, uh, that nature of tough love. We oftentimes want to be the cool parent, the fun parent, the, uh, you know, the, the best friend parent. And that's not always what our children need from us. They need us to walk with them in such a way as sometimes where we have to be the stern parent or the, um, uh, you know, uh, the not fun parent um, because that actually is a loving thing because ultimately our goal for them uh, is to see them mature beyond uh, just, oh, well, you know, yeah, this is fun. I want them to be healthy and whole and moving on. And that is actually merciful to parent in that kind of a way, even though if you ask the child, how does that feel in that moment? They may not say this is loving uh, or merciful. They may say, well, it's just them being strict. A part of that is because as we think about true mercy being full of wisdom, mercy does not tolerate evil and it doesn't wink at sin. We're again confusing what it means to be loving in our society and the term merciful. Um, a lot of times when Christians are described as uh, that, I want, we want to be a merciful people and we want to deal with that. Oftentimes how that translates is that we, we turn a blind eye to sin and we look at things that are blatantly sinful and we just say, well, I want to be merciful, so I don't want to make it hard on them. So I'm not actually going to call it sin, or I'm not going to actually address it, or I'm going to sidestep it, or I'm going to do those kind of things. And the Bible never does that. Jesus never sidesteps sin. He calls it out, but He calls it out mercifully. He does not use sin as something to bash somebody to make them feel worse. He just calls it out in the same way that a cancer doctor says, this is actually cancer. This is actually killing you. And I'm going to mercifully do it, right? This is what we would call bedside manner, right? You know, there's people that come in, they have no bedside manner. They're like, well, sorry to say, the test results come back, you're going to die. Well, that's, <laughs> that's not merciful, right? But to come back in and say, okay, we have determined that there's something that's very bad. If, you, if we don't do something about it, uh, the, the chances of your survival are very bad. That's mercy. It doesn't turn a blind eye to something that is bad. And mercy, when it comes to interacting with individuals, uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, there's there's natural grief, right? There's there's grief that comes um, uh, and and misery and hardship that comes at the at the hand of nobody in particular, right? Sickness, uh, famine, um, you know, those kind of things. They're they're natural, right? And people are in misery in those things, and we are called to be merciful to them and help them alleviate that pain. But we all know people who are living a life of misery, and we can point to it and go, many of the reasons that you're feeling misery right now, you did, right? We all, we all know those individuals. We all know those situations where we're like, I, I can tell you where the pain's coming from. I can tell you where the grief is coming from. I can, I can tell you where uh, your poverty is coming from right now. And do we just say, well, I, I don't want to make him feel bad, so I'm just going to sidestep it. No, we actually call it out for what it is, but in a merciful way. This also plays out into a, a unique thing in Christianity um, that that's, uh, different groups have handled differently. Uh, there was a, a, a large group of 
um, uh, Christians in the U.S. right around the time of the Revolutionary War um, that were pacifists. And they took this idea of mercy of saying, you know, we're, we're never going to stand against that. We're going to take this back because that's mercy. And I have a problem with that because I don't think that the Bible actually teaches that. That it says if there is evil, the merciful thing to do is to stand against the evil for the sake of others. One of the, um, uh, I think if you're just straight reading through Scripture and you come across the story of what is called the hewing of King Agag. Does anybody know what the hewing of King Agag is? It's the story where Samuel cuts the king, or a king by the name of King Agag, who Saul, King Saul, spared, and God had said, don't spare him. And Samuel hews him to bits, meaning he cuts him into little bitty chunks. And you're like, this is the Bible, right? But this is how it played out. Saul, King Saul, thought it would be merciful to spare King Agag. Oh, and a bunch of his sheep. And a bunch of his uh, women and other things. And he thought that would be merciful because that would look really good on him, even though it was a direct disobedience to God. And Samuel came into the camp of Saul and he said, what is this bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears? And Saul was like, oh, I wanted to save the sheep so that we could make an offering to God, right? And then Samuel turned to Agag, who was at this point in time thinking he was, he was pretty good stuff. I'm in the good graces of Saul. And this is what Samuel said to him in Samuel chapter 15, verse 33. He said, as your sword, Agag, as your sword has made women childless. So think about the implications of that. As your sword has killed children, so shall your mother be childless before women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. What? What? Mercy was evident in the slaying of Agag so that his cruelty could no longer threaten children. Mercy does not always look like what we think it does. Mercy does not uh, obliterate justice. Mercy uh, sometimes... Uh, fulfills justice by alleviating vengeance. Vengeance is different than justice. And I think this is one of the reasons why we as Christians really need to get a good grasp on the true nature of mercy. Because mercy lives in the middle between justice and grace. Grace, again, is that undeserved, unmerited favor. It is God giving us what we don't deserve, right? Grace is that free pass out of hell. Justice is that eternal damnation and separation from God. And mercy is somewhere in between. And I think we find ourselves in a day today, 
Uh, even leading up to this 4th of July weekend, I saw a lot of banter back and forth on social media around the nature of the 4th of July and should we honor our country and should, you know, how should things be? And because of the, the, uh, the ills of our past, which we should call the ills of our past, they are wicked and damnable and everything else that we could lay onto those. And then going, well, what about today? And how do we, how do we deal with that, right? And there are people that are calling for justice and there are people that are calling for what we would functionally call grace saying hey that wasn't a, let's just uh let's just take a sidestep from it that wasn't us that's not where we are that's that's where we are and we live in the middle and i think christians we're called to live in this place of mercy that acknowledges the reality of both that there were wrongs that have taken place and have caused suffering for people in the past and people today and we are to call those people to the, to the greatness of the glory of Christ who loved them and gave His life for them. And it is mercy for us to walk in this almost no man's land in between the, the political ideologies and sociological ideologies that we find ourselves in to be people who are merciful. So mercy is filled with wisdom. This is not an easy thing to do. Mercy is also costly. Mercy is also costly. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus gives a parable on the nature of mercy. Luke chapter 10 and starting in verse 25. Open my Luke. Oh, there we are. Luke chapter 10, starting verse uh, 25, it says this, There was a lawyer that came and put Jesus to the test. That should be a clue that this is not an honest question. This is not, this is not him saying, I, I really want to personally grow. This is him saying, I want to try to trip this guy up. I'm pretty smart. Let me see if I can mess him up. And he says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What's written in the law, you lawyer? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. It's pretty simple. Verse 29 is pretty profound though. It says, But wishing to justify himself. How often do we do that before the Lord? Wait, wait, yeah, okay God, but... Let me take into consideration my situation. Let me take into consideration my upbringing. Let me, let me, t- you know, let me, let me try to justify myself in this. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, "Who's my neighbor?" And Jesus gave the parable of the good Samaritan. Right? Jesus replied and said, "A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest." was going down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Anticlimactic. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to that place, saw him and he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, what the Jews classified as fuel for hell. That's how, that's, that was their slang term for Samaritans. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt what? compassion 
And he came to him and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And here's the lawyer's answer. And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, so go and do the same. Go and do the same. Mercy will always be costly. Mercy will always be costly. In this parable, obviously, this cost him time. It cost him his own resources. Uh, it was an expensive venture for him to take care of this individual who, by every social right, didn't like him. They didn't like each other. They weren't even from the other side of the tracks. They were from the, from the opposite side of the ideological world. What, what segment of society would look at you and just call you fuel for hell, right? If you're a Republican, then this, you'd be reading this and it would say, uh, then there came a Democrat down the road and he walked over and he helped you out. If you're a Democrat, it would be them saying, all of a sudden this Republican saw you and he walked to the other side, right? Like total opposite ends of the spectrum. And it was costly for them. Forgiveness is always an act of mercy. Forgiveness is always an act of mercy. And forgiveness is costly. Because forgiveness is not forgetting that something happened. When, when, it got, when the Bible says that God uh, you know, f- uh, forgave our sins, it's not like God looks at our life like a book and there's a bunch of pages turned out, tore out of it, right? It's not like we're going to stand before God and we're going to say, God, thank you so much for saving me from my sin. And he's going to be looking like, man, I don't remember you ever. You know, Molly, you just were a saint your entire life. I don't remember, I don't remember you ever sinning, right? It's not like that. God knows all of it. It's not like there's blanks in God's memory. It's God owning the cost that is due for that sin. And when we forgive, it is an act of mercy and a costly act of mercy because it means forgiveness always means that somebody has to bear the weight. Somebody has to bear the cost. So often in Scripture, the act of forgiveness is described in banking terms. It's like, I've taken a loan out from you, and to forgive that, uh, forgive that sin is to like forgive the loan. And if a bank forgives your loan, that means they have to eat the debt. It's costly for them. And if somebody sins against you, they have taken a withdrawal from you. And unforgiveness is us constantly saying, you got to pay me back, you got to pay me back, you got to pay me back. Mercy is us stepping in and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm withdrawing that from you. Because the reality of forgiveness is they can't pay it back, right? Nobody can unsay the hurtful thing that they've said to you. Nobody can undo the hurtful thing that they did to you. Mercy is always costly for us. And Jesus said, the one who acts in that way and expends of themselves, they're the one that did mercy. And he tells the Levite the same as, or he tells the lawyer the same as he tells us, go and do the same.
So mercy is costly, but mercy is also called to be cheerful. Mercy is called to be cheerful. Romans chapter 12 uh, in verse 8 gives this litany of spiritual giftings. And it says that the one who has mercy or the one who shows mercy is to show it with cheerfulness. It's one thing for us to go like, all right, God, I'm going to be merciful to people today. All right, here's some mercy for you. Hope you like it, <laughs> right? That's, that's not mercy. There's not a begrudging nature of it. And if we find ourselves acting in such a way where I'm going like, I know that I'm supposed to be merciful in this situation. I know I'm supposed to respond differently. I know I'm supposed to have compassion. But I'm finding that my heart is becoming calloused. I don't know about you, but I mean, when I read the news and I read things that are going on, like there's this sense of this tearing of me that's just going like, I just want to shut it off. I just want to stop caring. In uh, uh, pastoral care, one of the things, and I'm pretty sure in, even in clinical counseling, one of the things that they warn against, um, aside from you know, like making yourself too close to the situation, is just compassion fatigue, right? Where you just get tired of caring. And I um, was talking to one of the older gentlemen that was on the team last week. And he said, you know, the older that I get, he said, I'm finding myself in a battle. He said, there's, there's things that I'm becoming much more squishy about, soft about. He was saying, like, if he's called on to pray in a group, he said, I, I almost can't pray without crying. And he said, that's just getting worse the older I'm getting. He said, but I'm also finding that I'm becoming harder on certain things. That, that I'm looking at uh, issues... Um, you know, of, of crime and that kind of stuff, and I'm just becoming hardened towards people that are in those scenarios. And so there's this fight that we have to have cheerful mercy. God, help me not to harden up to these situations. Help me not to be the one that goes, well, you got yourself into it. Get yourself out of it. To be cheerful as we help alleviate the suffering that is around us. The sixth part is that mercy has a pursuit to it. Mercy is not an accidental thing. It's not just a, we just happened upon this thing and then I respond in it. There's this call of biblical mercy that is called for us to engage in life in such a way that we are looking for opportunities for mercy. Jesus, of course, is our greatest example for this. He did not wait for us. He came to us. He sent uh, the, the word of His coming. He sent the promises of His grace to us. And then when Jesus lived on this earth, He didn't just stand in one place. You know, he, didn't, he wasn't just born in Bethlehem and just hung out in Bethlehem and said, all right, y'all, y'all come. If you need help, y'all come. He got up and He went to the places where people were hurting. Jesus is described as going away to a solitary pray, place to pray and, he, and when asked why that, he says, I can do nothing of my own accord, but only what, the, uh, but what my Father tells me to do. So what that means is Jesus, God incarnate, was going to the Father in prayer and saying, God, show me where to go. Show me where the hurt is. 
Give me ears to hear where the sirens are going off. Uh, Give me ears to hear where the cries are coming up. Give me eyes to see the people that have put on their plastic shiny face uh, who pretend like everything's great and help me to actually be merciful to see beyond that. If Jesus had to pray, God tell me what to do, how much more does that need to be true of us? That we're living in such a way where we are pursuing people for the sake of mercy. And the last point with this is that mercy is meritless. Mercy is meritless. I think as we think about the issues of social justice in the world today and the the sense of the cross-cultural dynamics of going like I don't understand it's not my culture it's not my, I haven't I, you know it's not my experience I haven't been in there you know should I feel good about this should I you know should I agree with the, this ideology should I not agree with this ideology Here's the thing we as Christians are called to be merciful So what that means is I don't have to agree with the reason why you're hurting I just have to acknowledge the fact that you are. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to internalize it. I don't have to, I don't have, to have this, you know, it become my identity. Because the reality is I can't. That's what cross-cultural nature is. It's not my culture. But I do acknowledge the reality that you are hurting, that there is suffering. And to step in mercy towards that. It does not mean that they have acted in such a way that they have earned some kind of right for mercy. Because if that's the stance that we have as Christians, that we have no concept of what the gospel is. Because we didn't merit it. We didn't earn it. We definitely didn't deserve it. None of us are going to stand before God and be like, God got a good deal out of this one. Right? Let me tell you how awesome I was. And God was pretty lucky that he got to save me. I mean, how arrogant would that, does that sound, right? But do we live that truth in our actual everyday life? See, the gospel is what the end of Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 is. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive Not deserve, not earn, not merit. The word receive is a passive word. I've done nothing to make this happen. It's given to me. Mercy, as it stands with God, points us ultimately to the grace of the gospel. That God was merciful to us. The first time we sinned, God didn't turn us into smoke on the ground. He was patient, gracious, long-suffering. Oftentimes, when it comes to um, individuals who know the truth of the gospel, they've been told the truth of the gospel, and they're willfully rejecting it. 
And this is individuals who you know didn't grow up in church and they've they've clearly been told the gospel and they're like, no, I don't want it. Or individuals who did grow up in church and have been like, yeah, I, uh, you know what? As I've gotten older, I don't I don't agree with this uh, the wayward child kind of a thing. My prayer of mercy for them is that God would help them be so uncomfortable that the that the hardships that they will endure because of their rejection would not go into excess, but would be just enough that they would realize their rebellion against God and His graciousness to meet them where they are. At no point in time in any of that do they do something that merits His mercy. And actually, it is a mercy for Him to cause that stress in their life. You've heard me talk about this before, that when we talk about the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, um, oftentimes it's referred to as the curse. And I think that's a misnomer because we think that God cursed us. But that's not what he did. Remember when he said you know, to Adam and Eve, you know, what is this that you've done? And Adam blamed it on the woman. And then the woman said, well, the serpent made me do it. And God said, to the serpent, cursed are you amongst all the beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall crawl, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life, and I'll put enmity or strife between your seed and the seed of the woman, and you'll bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. That's a beautiful picture of the gospel that's laid out for us there at the very beginning of, of Scripture. So Satan was cursed. And then he looks to the woman, and he doesn't say cursed. He says, and in pain, your pain in childbirth shall increase. And, and there's going to be strife between you and your husband. That's discomfort. That's uncomfortable. And then to the man, he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. And from it shall produce for you thorns and thistles, not strawberries and apple trees, right? It's going to be, you're going to eat by the sweat of your brow, you'll eat bread. It's going to be hard. Now we look at those and we may say, well, those, that's a result of the fall. That's a curse. I'm telling you that was mercy. Because God did not give them what they deserved. That would be justice. He withheld that, but in such a way as to say, okay, we're just going to make it hard so that you realize how much you need me. Mercy is meritless and it is full of wisdom and it walks us through this reality that we oftentimes uh, don't actually know what's best for us. And many of the people that we are going to give mercy to, many of them don't actually know what's best for them. The alcoholic may think that it's a very merciful thing if you just buy him a fifth. And that's not mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. As we find ourselves in this moment in time, may that statement be true of us. And, and, and I'm talking specifically that people would look at you and me and they would call us individuals who are merciful. Because our, our uh, prayer is that we would exhibit what we've already received. We've received 
mercy from the gracious hand of God and from the love and care of His people. Imperfectly as it is, it was mercy. And we're called to be God's conduit of the mercy that He's given to us into a world that frankly doesn't deserve it. But it doesn't deserve it just as much as we didn't. So we give it anyways. Blessed, happy, one who ought to be congratulated are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's pray. God, thanks so much again for your word. Thanks that it is um, surgically true for us as we find ourselves in this moment in time of history uh, that there is so much strife and conflict in the world and so much ideological uh, sparring that is taking place. Help your church to be merciful, to follow the example of Jesus that doesn't, doesn't wink an eye at sin, but still seeks to alleviate the pain that this world offers. We're so thankful for Jesus this morning. As we celebrate Independence Day, help us to remember our dependence upon you. As today, as we celebrate our freedom, help us to realize that we truly are free because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We love you, God. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's Word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.